Well, it is a joy to be here this morning. If you would open up your scriptures to the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 1. We're going to look at two scriptures out of the book of Joshua, chapter 1, this morning. I want to start by asking this question. What does it mean to be successful? What does it mean to have success? As you begin to just think on that for a moment, just ponder that for just a second. In your heart, what does it mean to have success? For some of you, it may be thinking about a Bill Gates who created computer software and ultimately became a multi-million or billionaire. For our society, oftentimes, finances is a sign of success. I love what Dave Ramsey says uh, whenever people are extending themselves to buy a sports car or something way too expensive that they don't have the money to buy. He says, you have payments on that so that you can impress somebody at a red light for five seconds. You know, maybe, maybe you define success like a Michael Phelps who received 23 Olympic gold medals. That's pretty impressive. I think he only received like two silvers and three bronzes. That's pretty impressive to have that many gold medals. I mean, I think that he uh, helps us understand, I mean, this is the highest achievement of an athlete, to be able to have that many gold medals over that long of a career that he was able to keep his body at that ability. So maybe you define success as finances. Maybe you define success as fame. You know, our culture oftentimes defines success as as financial gain, fame, and power. But the Bible doesn't define it that way. There's one other person that I want to share with you. I want to share with you this person's story and see if you know who this person is. This person was born in Santa Barbara, California, almost at Canada, California, to a Pentecostal pastor and his wife. Her parents were born-again Christians and have turned to religion after a wild youth. From the ages of 3 to 11, this person moved across the country with her parents and set up churches before settling back again in Santa Barbara. Growing up, she attended different religious schools, and her family even struggled financially, sometimes using food stamps, eating uh, food from the food bank intended to feed the congregation as at her parents' church. This person primarily listened to gospel music as secular music was generally discouraged in her house. At the age of nine, she began training and was incorporated into her parents' ministry, singing in the church from ages nine to 17. In 2001, this lady put together her first album, and one of the tracks of it was Search Me. As you read in Psalms 139, Search Me and Know Me, O Lord. The first song on the album was Trust in Me, Trust in God. She wrote a gospel album in 2001, signed with a record label, but only sold about 200 copies. But in 2008, it broke forth, and this person sold from 2008 to current over 100 million albums. Worldwide success. Worldwide success. And according to Wikipedia, where I got the information about this person, which isn't always accurate, I'll say that again, isn't always accurate, has accumulated as of 2006 over $100 million in revenue and assets. Can you guess who this person is? For the younger generation, you'll know pretty quickly, but this is Katy Perry. For those who don't know who Katy Perry is, she is considered one of the best, greatest known singers of our age right now. She's been um, on many different, uh, she's won many different awards and, and all these different things. But here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I want you to understand. 
is that in 2001, she was singing gospel music and only sold 200 albums. In 2008, she wrote a hit song called I Kissed a Girl. And at that point, her fame and fortune and worldly success exploded. Now, which area of her life was she successful? We're going to get to the biblical understanding of this today in Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. I want to read to you verse 7, and I want to read to you verse, you'll see verse 8 up on the screen, or maybe 7's up there too. Here it says, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. Oh, it continues in verse 8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. You may want to circle the word all. As Brother Fred shares all the time, the word all means all. Be careful to do all that is in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have, there it is, success. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we see in this scripture, it is so plain to us. As Brother Ed just saying, the word of God, the word of God is a light into our path. The word of God leads us, guides us, and directs us. And so, Lord, this morning, as I said earlier, may all the distractions in this room be removed. And Lord, may we focus in on your word. May we obey it that we may have success. Lord, we love you and praise you for it's in your name. Amen. You know, as I was praying over this scripture, this scripture has been on my heart so much so that I met with all of our staff, every one of our staff this past Tuesday and walked through this scripture with our whole staff. This scripture has been so on my heart. I've just been, been meditating on it. I've been thinking on it. I've been praying over it. I've been sharing it with everybody that I've come in contact with lately about Joshua 1.8. And I said, but Lord, I preached the Shema about six months ago, which is in similar, the same message. And I said, you know, is this what I'm supposed to preach on this Sunday morning? And then Thursday night it happened. I don't always tell you how the Lord gives me a word, but sometimes he gives me a word with a little frog. Thursday night, we have our young adult Bible study and our kids are over in the children's area. And Miss Susan Barfield does an incredible job with our kids. Incredible job. And I go pick up my daughter and my son. And by the way, you know things are going great when your kids are like, is it Bible study night because I'm ready to go to church? They're so excited. And my daughter comes out with this frog that she's glued together. And on it, it says, study the book of the law continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be sure to obey all that's written in it. Only then will you succeed. Joshua 1.8. So what does it mean to truly have success? I see three things in here because we're going to define success at the end but let's look at the three things that we see in Joshua 1 8 that's so important to have success number one we see that we must know the word we must know the word simple as that so let me ask you this question do you know the word how can you obey the word if you do not know the word are you in the word and is the word in your heart? Right there at the beginning of Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from what? Your mouth. You say, well, David, it's talking about your mouth. You've got to keep talking about it. Yes, but it has to be here in your heart first. 
Because the scripture tells us in Matthew 15, verse, verse 18, it says, But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from where? The heart. So we must be so in this that we are hiding this in our heart. Wait, that's another scripture. Psalms 119, verse 11. It says, one of the first scriptures that I ever learned in Bible drill. Psalms 119.11. I feel like when I talk about Bible drill, I need to hold my Bible like this, right? Those who are in Bible drill, y'all know what I'm talking about. Psalms 119.11, it says, For I have hidden thy word in my heart. And then there's something that's going to happen because of it. That I will not sin against thee. We've hide God's word in our heart so that it will be what comes forth off our tongue. You say, David, I don't have the word of God coming off my tongue that much. Well, according to Matthew chapter 15 that I just read to you, we must hide it in our heart so that it comes forth from our mouth. So we must be hiding God's word in our heart. If we're not doing that, then you're not going to have the word of God coming forth off of your tongue. And in Proverbs, it says, guard your heart, for it is what? The wellspring of life. How much do we really guard our heart? You know, I don't want to get down on a, a long list of things and, and get you legalistic and, and, and trying to have all these rules and regulations. But think about the things that we put in our mind that goes to our heart. Music. Videos. Movies. Even conversations that we have with other people, oftentimes we're putting things into our mind that goes down to our heart. And then you wonder why when you're squeezed, something other than the word comes out of your mouth. It's because when you're squeezed, what comes out is what you filled it with. I love the old saying, I've said it to you a bunch, I'll say it to you again. What do you get when you squeeze a lemon? People say lemon juice, but the real answer is whatever you put in there. Because if I took a lemon and I removed the juice out of it with a syringe and then put in there something else, when you squeeze it, guess what's going to come out? Whatever you put in there. So we must hide God's word in our mouth, I mean in our heart, so that it will be on the tip of our tongue, that it will be what comes forth. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but there's nothing better than to diffuse a situation when somebody's frustrated or, or there's some situation going on and instead of anger, frustration, and, and just a whole bunch of worldliness coming out of our mouth, just the gospel, the word of God. Man, when we're in the word, it says it will comfort us. When we're in the word, it says that it will be our peace, that we will have peace. So let me ask you this question. How much are you in the Word? How much are we in this? In Deuteronomy, Jesus says, he quotes it in Matthew chapter 4. He says, man cannot live by bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Is this, as I've said before, life and death to you? Is this more valuable to you than the bread that you eat? Listen, I may die from not eating bread. I may die from not having food. I would, I would die after a certain amount of time, okay? But let me tell you something. If I die without this, I have an eternal death. If I die without having the word of God and obeying the word of God in my heart, I have an eternal death. I read about it even this morning in the book of Revelation. And as I read through the book of Revelation this morning, you say, David, why are you reading Revelation? I'll tell you why later. But as I was reading the book of Revelation this morning, I thought to myself, man, I tell people that I'm better than I deserve. And after I read Revelation, I'm way better than I deserve. Because it says all of those who do not obey the word of God and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. And I, I'm not, I, I, listen, I don't like, I don't enjoy teaching on hell. It's not like, yippee, I'm going to talk about hell today. No, it breaks my heart, but I must tell people about it. 
It breaks my heart, but I must tell people about it. Why must I tell people? Because the Word of God is hidden in my heart, and I know that without the Word and without the transformation of the blood of the Lamb, they're dying and going to hell. And so the Word is what's just saturating in me, and I know and have compassion on the lost because they are dying without a Savior. And Jesus said, hey, I died for all men, for all. I went to the cross so that all could come to the Father. One of the reasons that we must hide God's word in our heart, and as it says, know the word, is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And verses 4 and 5, that is the Shema. Love the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. Right? They used to chant that. They used to speak it out. They would shout it out. But I want you to see verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. It says, these words which I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently, diligently, continually, all the time, right? Diligently to your sons. And you shall talk to them. Now look at how often you talk to them. When you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. How often is that? Man, that's like the whole day. Like, if you're sitting, you're talking to them. If you're walking, you're talking to them. If you're standing, if you're lying, whatever you're doing, you're talking about the the breath of God. Listen, my opinion means nothing. Can I just tell you all that? My preference and my opinion, uh uh-uh, ain't going to help nobody. But let me tell you what will. This right here. Which is why he's saying, it doesn't say in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it doesn't say your opinion and your thoughts need to be shared throughout the day. It doesn't say your preferences when you sit up and when you sit down needs to be expressed all the time. No. Because your opinion and your thoughts is not going to save anybody, but the breath of God will. We must know this so well. So well that when we speak, we're speaking the breath of God. You say, David, why do you keep saying the breath of God? Why do you keep saying the breath of God? Because of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, all scripture is inspired or God breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The word of God from front to cover, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is inspired and God-breathed. I mean, we have the breath of the, like the creator God of the universe, we have his breath right here. We have his, his words. And all of our counsel has to come from it. All of our decisions have to come from it. How we live our life must come from the word it must or else you will not be successful we're going to see that so we must know the word we must meditate on a day and i go back to deuteronomy 6 i missed verses 8 and 9 i believe it says this you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on the frontals of your forehead you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates man Here Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy is is messages from Moses before the next generation goes into the promised land. And Joshua, Moses understands he's not going with them. But Joshua is going to lead them and Moses is saying to them, Hey, as you cross over the Jordan and as you go to the promised land, I'm telling you, you're going to get there and you're going to see all this beauty and all this land that's been given to you. And if you forsake this, it will all fall apart. If you forsake this, the scripture even says that if you turn from this and you get arrogant about having all these things, it says that the same thing that happens to the nations that go before you will happen to you. It says it in Deuteronomy. And so Moses is telling them, listen, I know that you're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Moses may have written that song. Prone to leave the God I love. I mean, how many times in the scripture did God tell us to remember? I mean, 
I sit there and I get frustrated sometimes and I look at like the nation of Israel and I'm like, are you kidding me, nation of Israel? Like, you already forgot? Man, like, okay, God, like, uh, I realize that you're giving us manna. I realize that you let us go across the Red Sea. I realize all these things. We want to go back to Egypt. We're better off in Egypt. There's better food in Egypt. There's, more, there's graves in Egypt for us. There's plenty of stuff. And I, I think to myself, man, like nation of Israel, you, what, how have you forgotten? But God realizes that you and I also in 2019 are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, and that we must remember constantly the word of God or else we'll forget. We'll forget. I mean, in the Old Testament, he said, put up stones. Place all the stones up so that when you cross over and, and people see those stones, they'll remember God understood that we are so quick to forget. How many times throughout the week, you get to the end of the week and you say, man, I can't believe I didn't spend this amount of time in the Word. Or man, like this week just happened and, and I didn't spend much time in prayer. Or man, like it just, it, just, it just got away from me. It happens all the time, doesn't it? God's saying, hey, in Deuteronomy 6, we're prone to wander. We're prone to forget. And so he says, continually put it before you. Continue to, 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 to know it in your heart. And that's the second part, is that he then tells us, not just know the word, but what? Meditate on it. How often are we to meditate on the word of God? Scripture tells us right there in Joshua 1.8. Anybody want to guess? Day and night. Now, how often is day and night? It's constant. We're called to meditate on the Word of God. You know, we could continue on and, and, and push this even further and say we're also called to pray without ceasing. Man, y'all are doing great on... We're called to pray without ceasing. We're called to meditate on the Word of God day and night. How many of you in this room practice meditation? Man, some people, you hear that and you're like, whoa, like David... Because the word meditate and meditation in our culture has often a different meaning. It's all about self and me. No, the Bible tells us to meditate on the word day and night. Which means that we allow the word to continue to saturate our mind and our thought throughout the day. The word meditate here is actually a unique uh, Hebrew word versus all the other times it says meditate. Because in this moment, right here in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, it means to tell, to utter, or to mutter. To continue to have the word of God on the tip of our tongue all day. For you to have it on the tip of your tongue all day. For you to mutter the word of God all day. For it to be continually what's coming forth from your mouth. It must be in your mind. It must be in your heart continually. Many of you know that meditation is the example of the cow that is eating uh, its food. Or chewing the cud as people say. And the cow chews on it and 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 then it swallows it and then it does something I won't say and then it chews on it again. And the cow continues to chew on that over and over and over. And you know, I've heard that illustration a whole bunch and I've even spoke it to y'all before. But I heard something just yesterday that just, man, my mind just went boom. Like I was so excited. Y'all haven't seen me as excited as I get sometimes in my office I just want to jump and just praise the Lord. And I mean, so anyways, I, I realize that the cow continues to chew its cud and continues to bring it up and continues to chew it because it wants to get every single piece of nutrients out of it. Man, do we just read the word and keep going or do we long to get every piece of nutrients out of the word? Now, let me just say this to you for a second. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It says that in the book of Hebrews, right? Chapter 4, verse 12. I don't think that, I know that in my lifetime, there is no way from, if I would have been saved at the very first day that I was born until the time that I died, I know that if I searched this all my life, every moment of every day, I would not be able to get every piece of nutrients out of it. Because it's that rich. It's that full. It's that incredible. 
You know, I love the Word and I read it all the time. I read it all the time. And every time that I go back to a chapter to read again, it's as if I've never read it before. And you say, well, whoa, David, like, are you getting saved every time you read it? No, it's as if I'm seeing more stuff that, I mean, I get so excited. I was like, I haven't seen that before. How exciting. Then I want to come and share it and I want to preach it. I, want to, I get so excited. I've read Joshua 1.8 and I have preached on it and I have shared it and I have talked about it and I have shared it all my life. And for the first time, just a few months ago, the Lord showed me, then you will have success. The equation for success on a biblical level is in Joshua 1.8. So you will meditate on it day and night. God is saying to Joshua, if you want to lead the people successfully, you must know the word and continue to utter and meditate on the word day and night. Say, David, how do you meditate on the word? Well, right now I'm meditating. Obviously, I just told you on Joshua 1.8. But right now, I am meditating on Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Some of you may say, what what scripture is that? That's the Sermon on the Mount. Think about all the nutrients and the richness of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm meditating on the, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on the Beatitudes, but then right after that, what is it? It says... It says that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And it says don't let your light go out. But instead, what? It tells us to to let it shine before men so that people can see our good works. Not that we did them, but Christ through us that they may glorify our Father who's in heaven. I mean, it continues on. It continues about the law. It continues about how we are to give, how we are to pray, how we are to fast. It shares with us the prayer of our Lord as he's saying, uh, pray this way. It tells us how to, to know the word in Matthew 7 at the end. And it's like a wise man who's built his house upon the rock. I don't know about y'all, but if, if and I'm working on it. Y'all can come ask me in th- two years maybe. I'm working on it, of memoriz- memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. See, I want to take it from meditation to memorization. Because I want it in here so deep. Man, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is a powerful piece of Scripture where God is speaking. Jesus is speaking about godly living. But it's, it's about the fact that Christ through us does this in our life. Man, when you're persecuted, when you come up against struggles and, and, and or, or people say all kind of harsh things about you, praise God for Matthew chapter 5 where it says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Praise God when it says, blessed are those who deal with people speaking against you. It says in Matthew chapter 5, I wasn't planning on going here, but I'll just say it real quick. It says in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad. Man, when you go through trials and tribulations, if you're meditating on that, if you're meditating on James 1 that says, Count it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, let me tell you something. It's a lot easier to walk and keep our eyes on the king because we're meditating and continuing to keep it in front of our mind. I want to challenge you to do something when you go home. Will you find a piece of scripture that you'll meditate on this week? I'm not saying that's the only scripture that you're going to read this week. Would you find a piece of scripture that God has put on your heart? Maybe it's Joshua 1.8. That you would just continue to bring back to the forefront of your mind. That it's on the tip of your tongue. That you would continue to speak it. Now I tell people all the time that when something's mentioned more than once in the Bible, it's pretty significant. In Psalms 119... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times it talks about meditating on the Word of God. I want to show you just one of them. Psalms 119 verse 48 says this, And I shall lift up my hands to your commandments. Is that not what we're talking about? The Word of God. I shall lift up my hands to your commandments. I will obey your Word. And then it says, which I love. Do you love this? 
I sure hope you do. I can't force you to love it. I can't guilt you to love it. I can't make you love it. But let me tell you something. When you realize that Jesus Christ paid for your sin on the cross and that he gave you his own words, let me tell you something. You'll fall in love with it. He says, I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. And then it says, and I will meditate on your statues, on your precepts, on your law. So we were to meditate on it day and night. So do you know the word? Do you know the word? Do you meditate on the word day and night? But then there's a third part of success. And it says, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Obey the word. Now, let me just stop and say this. If you don't know the word, you can't obey it. If the word tells you to do something that you don't know about, how are you going to obey it? But let me just say this. You not knowing the word is not an excuse before holy God. You can give God all the justifications and all the reasons why you didn't know the word. But let me tell you something. As, as much as we have 25.3 Bibles in every household in America... We have no excuse. And even those who, who don't have the word, God will speak and, and, and show us that. Listen, we have no excuse before holy God. There's no justification to excuse our lack of discipline in the word of God. And Timothy talks about that. First, second Timothy, it talks about that spiritual godly discipline. But isn't it interesting that so often we will justify and excuse our lack of being in the Word? One of the biggest things that I used to say was the book's too big. They make smaller Bibles, just just saying. It's the same word, just smaller print. Do you realize that if you read, okay, y'all, this is going to, I'm not, I do not want you to feel guilty. I just want you to hear this. But if you read 20 pages a day, you'll read through the Bible four times in a year. So divide that by two. If you read 10 pages in a day, 10 pages a day, you say, David, what Bible you got? I'm talking about from this Bible right here, there's 2,067 pages. And a lot of those are possibly introductions and things like that too that aren't. If you read 10 pages a day, you would read through the Word twice in a year. So what does that make one time in a year? About five to six pages a day. Listen, it's so interesting that so often we try to justify our, our, our lack of doing something. And God's called us to obey the word. And so once we hear the word, then we try to justify our lack of action to obey the word. I mean, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve both take of the fruit that they were not supposed to, Right? They both. And because of that, they were removed from the garden because of the tree of life. You see the tree of life again at the end of Revelation. But they're both removed. And Eve says, but God, it was the serpent. You know, she's right. It was. Who deceived her? But that didn't matter. What mattered is that she made a choice to take of that fruit. So often we want to say, but this is why, this is why, this is why. And God's saying, no, you did it. That's what matters. Quit looking to all the other reasons why you did it. We can get to that later. But until you come to a conclusion that you did fall short of the glory of God and walked in sin, it's always a justification. But look at what Adam said. I don't even have this in my, in my notes. So y'all aren't going to see this on the screen. But Adam said, but God, it was the woman. And then what did he say? What did he say? What did he say? That you gave me. Whoa. Look at this for a second. First he blames Eve. But then who does he blame? God. Whoa. I'm going to get real deep for a second. Sometimes we'll say, God, if I just had enough 
strength, if I just had enough of this, if I just had enough of that, if I just, you know, I, I just need, I just need, I just need. And God's saying, I've already given you everything you need to live a life of godliness. It's called the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Do we not do the same thing that Adam did in Genesis 3? We don't need to pray, God, you gotta, you got to give me this or give me that. God's already given you everything that you need in the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you. And so what we need to do is just simply walk in obedience. As Brother Ed just said, we've got to get to the place where we say, God, if you say it, I'm going to do it. And some of y'all are saying, well, I don't know if I hear God correctly sometimes and how he speaks to me. Hold up. We're talking right here today. When I read in here that it says, encourage your brother, we are to encourage our brother. That's what we did Wednesday night. What an incredible, if you were here Wednesday night... It was just, it was incredible. I just stopped service early and said, here's what I want to do. Why don't you get up and just go encourage each other? And people began to encourage each other, and it was an incredible moment. See, the scripture tells us how to live a life of godliness, and here's the beauty of it. God's already given us the Holy Spirit of which we need to be able to live a life of godliness. But Adam says, but God, the woman you gave me, Lord, he is in tune saying, he is in, he's saying in that moment, God, do you realize that this is your fault? He is justifying and blaming everything except for the fact that he ate of the fruit. Body of Christ, we have to get to the place where we don't try to justify where we just simply fall on our face before holy God and say, you're absolutely right, O Lord. I have fallen short of the glory of God. Forgive me, O God. You know, in Luke chapter 5, I didn't give them this either in the back, so it may not be back there, but in Luke chapter 5, they're out and Jesus tells Peter to go out and cast the net. And he says, but Lord, I've worked all night. Lord, we've, I, I, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing. Luke 5, 5, it says this, Simon answered, Master, we worked all night and caught nothing. Oh, but look at this answer. But I will do as you say and let down your net. In the NIV, it says it this way. But because you say so, I will. We must have that same approach to the word of God. We can't go into it and say, well, God, this is a little bit harder. Oh, there's the justification. But God, do you realize the, the situation I'm in? Like, do you realize, Lord, that I know what I'm doing? Lord, do you realize the pain that I'm in? God's saying, trust me and obey the word of God. Peter says, Lord, I've done all this. I know what I'm doing. I've been a fisherman all my life. I'm skilled at this. I feel like even in his mind, he may have said something like, you're a teacher, I'm a fisherman. But then he said, because he understood his authority. He understood God's authority, Jesus' authority. He said, but because you say so, I will. Will you approach reading the word of God with that same statement? God, because you say so, I will obey. No other way. And we must come into the word of God with that being our heart's cry. We can't say, well, God, I'll, I'll choose as I get there. Because let me tell you something, when you run into, in Scripture, areas of your life that you're living in sin, you're going to immediately want to have the same mindset of Adam. Lord, these are the situations that you gave me. And we'll just brush it off and keep going. We must not justify, we must not excuse, we must not continue to blame we must obey the word of god simply as that now let me just say this obeying is to believe and to believe is to obey let me say that again this is a hard statement but you got to hear it to obey is to believe to believe is to obey if I truly believe that that chair will hold me up, but I would never sit in it. Nope. 
I'm not going to sit in it. Uh, but, but I will tell you, I believe it's going to hold me up. I believe it. All of a sudden, what am I doing? I'm telling you something that there's no action to follow up with it, which tells you I really don't believe it. If you walk up to somebody who's giving you information saying, oh, I believe it, but you can see the fear on their face that they really don't know what they're talking about, then I would say to them, well, why don't you do that first? Why don't you go sit in the chair first? You go sit there first and show me that you truly believe that. In James chapter 1, we see this, this statement in the New Testament. Many of y'all know it. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says this. It says, But prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. And then it says this, But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and what? Abides in it. Obeys it. There's action. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effective doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Doesn't that sound exactly like Joshua 1.8? The man who hears the word of God and becomes an effective doer of the word of God, his life, this man, will be blessed. Now listen, I am not, I am not, I'm going to say this one statement and we're going to move on. I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel here. Not. So don't assume that when I say prosperity and blessings that I'm talking about cultural success. No, I'm talking about biblical success, to look more like Christ, to have a life of of Christ living through us. And he says, but if you hear the words of God, but you do not obey them, then you don't really believe in in the word. Oh, David, uh, come on now. Listen, if you can read the word of God, and you see areas in your life that you are living in contrary to, and you're okay with it, then you don't believe that the Word of God is telling you the best and most perfect thing in your life. You're telling God, hey, I know a better way than what you spoke, O God. The Scripture tells us that if you truly obey, then you believe. If I believe that this is the Word of the living God, then whatever it tells me to do, I'm going to do. Now, it has to be within context. It has to be within context of the Scripture. I'm not telling you to go and read just a piece of it. I mean, you could read, uh, Blessed are those who mourn and be done with it, and all you do is mourn all your life. You know, I mean, James even says that at the end of James. He says, mourn, mourn, weep. And if you don't read it in context, that we're mourning and weeping over the sin in our life, but praise God, He comforts us in the midst of it and raises us up in Him then we're totally missing it. But we must, if we truly believe in the word of God, then what does it tell us? We will obey it. If there's no action in your life based on the word of God, then I'm telling you, you are telling the world that you don't truly believe it. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks of himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. The man's religion is worthless. Now, why would James go straight to the tongue after this? I believe that he went straight to the tongue because in James chapter 3, it says, who can tame the tongue? I do not believe that you can fake the tongue. I don't believe that you can fake the, the tongue. And he's saying that if a man claims to be religious, but what's coming forth from his mouth is not according to the word of God, then he does not believe the word of God. It's as simple as that. He's saying here that out of all the areas, I'm telling you, he's saying that if you are a hearer of the word, then your tongue will bring life, is what it says in Proverbs, that the tongue brings life. It says, death and life is in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit, Proverbs 18, 21. That if you are a man or woman of God who believes in the word and lets it wash over you and I, then here's what's going to happen. From your tongue, you're going to speak life. You're going to obey it. 
That's the reason why last Wednesday night was so incredible when I just, I just encouraged everybody to go encourage each other. Because what were we doing? We were obeying the word of God in action and speaking into our brothers and sisters' lives. I made it a point to go to every person that I could Wednesday night and just let them know I love them because I do. I love every one of you. It says that you must obey the Word of God. So we must know the Word. We must meditate on it day and night. And we must be careful to obey it. In James chapter 2, he continues on in verse 18 on this same track. And he says, but some may say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Skip to verse 21. It said, well, let me go to 20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? I mean, the worst thing we could do is go out to the world and say, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Word, and live a life completely contrary to it. But then he says this, he brings Abraham up. And he says, was Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see, faith was working with his works, and as a result, the works, faith was perfected. Listen, Abraham would not have brought Isaac to sacrifice him if he didn't believe that God's word was perfect. If he didn't believe that that, that God was who he says he is, and if he didn't believe in, 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 in God and God alone, he would have never laid Isaac down. But he laid Isaac down because he believed. See, his actions were produced from his faith in God. So we must know the word, and we must obey it. Now you may say, David, there's a lot of stuff to know in here. Oh, absolutely, that's why we are students of it for the rest of our life. I can't go into all the commands of of the scripture. I can't do it right this moment. We'd be here for, well, probably till 2020. I'd love to. I'm running out of time, but I'm going to continue on for right this moment. There's two commands that I do want to share with you. One is in Romans chapter 10. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. Go to verse 13 for me in Romans 10. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you walk according to this word, if you obey this word, It says that if you believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you lay your life down and accept the sacrifice that was paid for you, it says you shall be saved. The most important piece of obedience throughout the whole Bible is that. Because once you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're given the Holy Spirit who can help you, who will help you understand and know the Word and obey it. Let me just tell you something. I cannot obey this word without the Holy Spirit living inside of me. If you're sitting in here today and you're saying, David, I don't know Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm telling you, the scripture says that Jesus paid for your sin on the cross. It says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. If you would just believe and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you would repent of your sin and turn to God, he says that he will save you. But to the body of Christ, let me say one more thing we must be obedient about, and I have been passionate about it for the last few months. We must be obedient to the Great Commission. The word of God says that the, that the love of God compels us to share the gospel. The word of God tells us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you to the ends of the earth or the ends of the age. Acts 1.8, it says, you'll be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. If you believe and trust in this, God is commanding, he's calling us to walk in obedience, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. 
Please don't have the attitude of Adam in Genesis 3. Oh God, let me tell you all the reasons why I'm not. Lord, let me tell you all the justification and reasons why I won't. No, we must, we must simply say, but because you say so, I will. Because you have spoken it to me, I will. And let me tell you something, everyone in here who's a believer in Christ, God has spoken to you and told you that if you repent of your sins, you shall be saved. And he's also told you to go and share it with people. Who have you shared the gospel with this week? Out of obedience to the calling of Christ on our lives from the word of God. The last point is this, you will have success. So we must know the word. It must be on our tongue. It must be in our heart. We must meditate on the word. How often? Day and night. And we must be careful to obey the word. And then it says you will have what? Success. Oh, what a beautiful statement. You know what I love about this? Is that my success is not defined in anything of this world. Nope. My success is not defined in results. It's not. My success is not defined in how many seats are filled on a Sunday morning. It's not. My success is found in my obedience to the Word of God. Period. Your success is not found in fame, fortune, and power. Your success is found in the Word of God and obedient to it period. Now let me explain a few things about that. At the very beginning, I shared with you about the story of Katy Perry. In 2001, when she sold 200 CDs, she was way more successful than she was with 100 million of secular propaganda. At some point between 2001 and 2008, her understanding of success changed in her mind and in her heart. And she gave up all that had been poured into her all of her life to chase the things of this world. A lot of people in this world would say she's got fame. She's got a lot of money. And most people would say with money comes power. She's got all three of them. But let me tell you something. She's not successful. She's not. The word of God is truth. And the word of God says that the one who's successful is the one who obeys the word of God. You know, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, it says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man gain in exchange for his soul? What will it profit somebody who gives up obedience to Christ to go have money, fortune, and all the power in the world? Let me tell you what's going to happen. They're going to lose their soul. You want to have success? Stop looking at all the results-driven society and start getting on your face in the Word of God and obey it. My success is not determined by anything other than my obedience to the Word of God. Your success is not determined by anything other than your obedience to the Word of God. Listen, for some of you in that room, this room, it is taking burdens off your shoulders because you have been so result-driven. And you have tried, and I did use the word try, you have tried so hard to be result-driven that you've missed the fact that you just need to fall in love with the Word of God and walk in obedience of it and leave the results in God's hands. Because here's what success is. Listen, I just took a few moments. I'm going to pull this page out. I'm not going to read you all these scriptures because we'd be here for a little while. Oh, I think they threw it up on the screen. This is awesome. I just got in the Word yesterday in Psalms 119. If you haven't been in Psalms 119 lately, go home. Listen, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. Don't be afraid. It's only like three pages, right? If you're reading it throughout the year, that's just one day as of reading almost. Go read Psalms 119. But if you follow the word, here's all that, the results that will happen just from Psalms 119. You'll be blameless. You'll walk blameless. You'll not be ashamed. You'll stay pure. You'll avoid sin. 
The word revives you. Stop there for a second before you go to the next slide. One, two, three, let's see, about 15 times, no, 12 times. In Psalms 119, it says that when you're in the word, it revives you. You want to see spiritual revival? How many want to see revival? Hey, if it's that many times in one, Psalms 119 about being in the Word, you want to have revival in Mobile, Alabama? Let's start in our own lives. And let me tell you, the Word of God tells you how to bring about revival in your life. You are saturated in this. Man, the more I read this, the more excited I get, the more I want to go share, the more I want to tell everybody about it, the more that I fall in love with my Creator, the God of the universe who sent His Son to die for me. I can't get enough of it, I'm telling you. I, in my own heart, the revival is taking place because of just simply being in this and saturated in it. Continue on, 7. It strengthens when you're in the Word of God, Psalms 119, verse 28, says it strengthens you. It says it enlarges your heart. You revere God. You, he gives you answers. He gives you freedom. You have comfort when you're in the Word of God. You have a thankful heart. You have wisdom. You have understanding. You have direction to your path. He sustains you by the Word. He upholds you by the Word. It gives you a hatred towards sin. Not towards the person, but towards sin. Sin, and it brings rejoicing in your heart and it brings about peace in your life. Who doesn't want to be in the Word of God? You want to have success? We must be in this. John 15 verse 10 says this, If you keep my commandment, you abide in my love. If you keep my commandment, you abide in my love. And in verse 5, everybody knows it. It says that I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will what? Bear much fruit. The success that you will have in the word of God is that fruit will come forth from your life, not because you did it, not because you created it, but because of Christ in you, you will have fruit in your life. What's the fruit? Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. All of these fruits are going to come forth, and I missed a few there, are going to come forth out of your life. Why? Because you're in the Word, and you're going to be successful. And because you're in the Word, and God abides in you, then it will have to have fruit in your life. Now, I didn't say... You go out and try to make the fruit in your life. The Holy Spirit inside of you, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of your good work. The fruit of the Spirit in you is going to come forth out of our lives. So you say, David, so you're saying you are going to see results. Absolutely. But here's the thing. Those results are not something that you created. It's what God does through your life. Our job is to be obedient to the Word of God. Period. God is the one who does the harvest in our life. God is the one who does, allows the fruit to be produced in our life. Man, the more that I'm in the Word of God, the more that I'm in love with this thing, the more I see the fruit of the Spirit come forth from my life. And let me tell you something, it also humbles me because I realize that it's not me that produces the fruit. Last week, I thank you for what y'all shared. I didn't even realize that that was my 10-year anniversary here. I just don't know how y'all put up with me for 10 years, to be honest with you. But what y'all saw on that screen and what people spoke about my life, it wasn't me. Those results that you saw spoke from my life was the Holy Spirit of promise who said, if you obey my word, David, fruit will come out of your life. None of that was me. None of it. It was all the power of the Holy Spirit coming forth from our life. So are you longing for success? Do you want to be successful? You got to be in the word. And you got to obey it. And meditate on it day and night. I'll close with this piece of scripture in Matthew 7 at the end. It says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words and obeys and acts on them 
may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. If you obey the Word of God, if you listen to the Word of God, if you study the Word of God, if it is washing over you and you obey it, I'm telling you, you're building your house on the rock. And all the circumstances in life cannot make that house fall down. Oh, but if you want to be successful on the world's standard, if you want fame, fortune, and all those things, and and power to be your success, then it says this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Listen, my compassion, I desire, I long as I shared earlier, for Katy Perry to go back to what was successful. Because great will be the fall when she realizes that all of her success gained her nothing. Are we going to be successful men and women for the kingdom of God? It means that we simply know the word, we meditate, and we obey it.